Pretty exciting video, huh? The power of words and the power of a life. And the power of words backed up by the power of a life. And the Apostle James understood that. He understood the power of words. And that's what our focus is going to be this morning in James chapter 3. And so uh, if you have a Bible, grab one. And if you need one, our, our ushers have a copy of a paperback we call the Bridge Bible. And just slip up your hand. We'd be glad to hand one out. James chapter 3. That's going to be on page 838. If you use a bridge Bible, James chapter three, page 838. And you know what? The lights are going to come up very slowly. We have we don't have the capability to do much with our lights, but they are going to come up and be a little bit brighter. And if if it doesn't help you, I know it's going to help me. So James writes in chapter three, verse one, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. And so James starts with a warning. It's a warning to teachers specifically. The warning is be careful what you model to others. Be careful, number one, what you model to others if you're using the outline. Now the context uh, James is writing to believers. He he addresses them as my brothers. And, of course, that means sisters, too. And uh, it's a church family. It's a family of God. And that's the context. Of, and, and then he makes this reference to uh, let not many of you become teachers, teachers in the church. Specifically, he means uh, a formal teacher who stands before the congregation and teaches and has the responsibility and the authority to teach the Word of God. Now, that's uh, his uh, first uh, concern here is to uh, those who want to be teachers. And it helps just to remember that this is very, very early in the history of the church. Um, Paul probably hasn't become a believer yet. And he hasn't written anything. And we have... We don't have 1 Timothy 3 where we have the qualifications of an elder laid out. Where it's, we're, we're supposed to have leaders who are godly. And that, some of those things haven't been written yet. And so being a teacher in the first century is like uh, a cool thing and that you get respect and people think you're important and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, in the early church, hey... You, you know a little bit more than somebody else, and you just stand up and you tell people what you think. And so James is giving a warning here um, to the early church, to those who want to be people who just stand up and teach. But there's a, a much greater a- application. And by the way, let me just go back and say uh, where James says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that you who teach will be judged more strictly. And... Um, the purpose here isn't to uh, stop you from becoming a teacher, but, but the purpose is, is to raise the standard on who a teacher is. And, of course, later, 1 Timothy 3, the standards, the passage in verses 1 through 7, qualifications for leaders, but that hadn't been written yet. And so the, the bar is being raised. Teachers will undergo a stricter judgment. They will be held accountable for their words. Somebody who 
teaches the word of God is held accountable for what they say. So, for sure, I'm going to have a stricter judgment. And let me make an application here, though. Here's an application to all of us. Be careful what you model to others. Parents, what are you teaching your kids by your words and by your lifestyle? Does your lifestyle back up what you tell them and what you teach them about God? Um, This applies to uh, small group leaders and growth group leaders and uh, bridge kids leaders and People, you know, if you're a follower of Christ and you're trying to share your life with somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet, how you live is really important about what you say about Christ. So there's an application to all of us. Um, Not many of you should be presumed to be teachers because you know you who teach will be judged more strictly. Let me just talk a minute about what that means to be judged. In the Bible, there are two main judgments Um, one is called the great white throne judgment and um, that's going to be in revelation chapter 20 and that's for people who do not know christ and there is one uh, destination and it is far from god and it's called the lake of fire there is another judgment and that's for those who um Believe in Jesus Christ. And you, as if you're a follower of Christ, will face Jesus for a final eval. There's one more review coming, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all, that's all of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad including the things that we say, our speech. And uh, this isn't for condemnation. This is more about rewards. This is more about, hey, it does make a difference how you live. Just because you're saved from the penalty of your sin doesn't mean God doesn't care how you live. And so this should be an opportunity to stand before the Lord one day and, and hear him say, well done you good and faithful servant. So, teachers will be judged more strictly. Uh, Next, our speech is closely tied to our spiritual maturity. Our speech is closely tied with our spiritual maturity. And I get this from verse 2, where James says, we all stumble in many ways. And this is great. You know, James graciously includes himself, all of us, we. He includes himself, the apostle James, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you never say anything wrong, um, he's a perfect man. And the idea of perfect here is really the idea of mature and able to keep his whole body in check. And um, James talks, has this picture of sort of walking and I, I love that picture because it, it, to me it pictures the Christian walk where, you know, we're supposed to take one step at a time. We don't have it all together. It's not, a, it's not a race out there. It's just each day I have to take steps to walk with Christ. And James says we all stumble. 
And sometimes he trips, sometimes he falls down, and he means he's sinning with his speech, is what he's talking about. And um, he said, um, anyone, if anyone is never able to, uh, at fault, is what he says, he's a perfect man. And you know, being perfect is really the goal. Being, having the idea of spiritual maturity. We're not talking, this isn't for you perfectionists. Um, the goal for, unless, you, unless your goal is to become totally like Jesus, then this is for you. Um, we talk about the idea of God's intention for our lives is when we come to faith in Jesus, what he wants us to do is he wants us to grow and become like Jesus in our character. He's going he's gonna to grow and develop and change us. And um, as new believers, we start like an infant in Christ. And so I came to faith when I was 25 years old, and I just was a baby in Christ. I didn't know much, and I just had to learn the basics. And I started to grow. And then we sort of you know, go through toddlerhood, and it doesn't talk about toddlerhood in the Bible. And we, we act like children, and the Bible does talk about acting like children. And then we sort of become spiritual teenagers. And the goal is to grow up and become spiritual adults, finally becoming like Jesus. So the point is your speech is a key indicator of your spiritual maturity. Do you, uh, for example, do you gossip? Well, your speech is going to show. Do you criticize others? Are you sarcastic? Do you lie? Do you use four-letter four words? Do you use God's name inappropriately? Uh, do you strike out at people in anger? Your words are a key spiritual indicator. Second warning, verse 3, your words powerfully influence others. Your words powerfully influence others. And James starts with the example of a horse. We are number 2A. Okay, there we go. Your words powerfully influence others. The example of the horse, verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses and we make them obey us, we turn the whole animal. It's a pretty simple example. This is James is really good with simple illustrations for the people of his day. You put a bit little five-inch thing into a 1,200-pound animal, and you can give direction to that animal. Simple example, not complicated. Verse 4, the example of a ship. Um, or take ships, as an example, he says, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot or the captain wants to go. Ships in James' day were made of wood. We know from Acts 27, verse 36, that a ship was at least large enough to hold 276 men. So it's still a good illustration, even though their ships may be not like our ships. You hold 276 men, and it's all directed by a rudder made of wood that's only a few feet long. And the point is, in 5 and 6, is that something small like the tongue... Um, has a major influence on life. Pretty simple. A bit directs a horse. A rudder directs a ship. Small to big. Okay? Uh, verse 5, it can be like, the tongue can be like a devastating fire. Look, at, look what James says. Likewise, a tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider 
what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Hey, let me go back and give you a little ship illustration. Um, World War II, the greatest, largest, and heaviest battleship was called uh, the Bismarck. Some of you know the story. May 27, 1942, the Bismarck was sunk, which was a great victory for the British Navy. How did it happen? The largest and heaviest and most impressive battleship ever created was um, disabled by a small British plane carrying a torpedo that hit its rudder. And so the ship, although it had all its guns and power, all it could do was flail around in circles until the British uh, Navy got there and destroyed it very quickly. Um, Small thing has a major influence on the big thing. And so um, James says the tongue can also be like a devastating fire. A small part of the body, it makes great boasts. Consider what great a forest fire is set on by a, a small spark. The book of Proverbs remind us, reminds us of the power of words. Proverbs 16, verse 27 says, A scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Sometimes your words can be like a scorching fire. Um, sometimes you can burn people, hurt people, and wound people with what you say, the power of words. And here, uh, the book of Proverbs talks about that the source of these words uh, come from evil. Secondly, it can be corrupt and dishonoring to God. James chapter 3, verse 6, it can be corrupt and dishonoring to God. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And his point is, even though the tongue is such a small part of the body, you can get into a lot of trouble with it. And, and he uses this example of fire. Fire can be used for good or it can be used for harm and destruction And here James sees the power of the tongue used for evil. Again, the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse... Did we... Okay, thank you. I was confused. I thought I was going to be at verse 27. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close words. Your words can divide relationships. Gossip hurts friends, doesn't it? Have you ever been hurt? By gossip, Have you ever been hurt when somebody else has talked about you or revealed your secrets to other people or posted them on Facebook? They're still words. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I was just kidding. That's sarcasm. Anybody here good at sarcasm? Sarcasm is a lot of fun. That's what I thought. It's not fun in marriage so much. Um, You know, I grew up being extremely sarcastic. I could be sarcastic with the football team every day of the year for year after year. And when it came time to play football, we were all on the same team. We're all patting each other on the back. What's the big deal? Sarcasm. It's fun. 
But it doesn't work in marriage at all. And um, sometimes I thought I was being cute or funny, but I, I often use words that sort of had a double edge. I mean, you could take it either way. If you want this to hurt or if you just want it to be funny, you can. And um, I just found it caused great pain to my wife. It took me years to say, hey, this, I should probably change my style. But uh, sarcasm is usually more hurtful than the person who is saying it thinks it is. So, yes, you can have fun. And, yes, you can, if you know the person really well, it works. But it often is very hurtful. And sarcasm is an easy thing to do to put up a little barrier to keep from getting close to someone. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Writer says, without wood, a fire goes out with gossip, a quarrel die without gossip, a quarrel dies down. So lack of words has a great influence as well. Proverbs 26, 21. Uh, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It's like pouring gas on a fire. When somebody's offended, when somebody is after revenge, when somebody wants to prove their point, to show that they're right, it's like pouring gas on a fire. It's like putting wood on top of something that's about to go out. Um, and here's the harm that comes from the power of verbs. Proverbs 26, verse 22 the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to a man's inmost parts. Words have the ability to go deep down inside of us and cause pain. You know, sometimes it's gossip, but sometimes it can be just direct to the face. You can, you can hurt somebody deeply down to their core, especially a parent with a child somehow not approving their child. It hurts in marriage. I can tell you that from firsthand, that I could say something to my wife that hurts her for sometimes months and months or years, especially from the early marriage. That's how harsh I was. James, uh, number three, it operates like this source from heaven or hell. The tongue can operate like its source is from heaven or from hell. Verse 6, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of this life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. And James uses um, a picture of a fire to describe the devastating influence of the tongue. And um, the tongue it always expresses the thoughts of the mind, and as Jesus taught and as James taught, sin really starts in the mind. But it comes out through the mouth. And um, a woman, a, a person's words demonstrate their heart's condition. A person's words demonstrates where they are spiritually, where their heart is. Words can have an enormous influence. I want to show you a short video clip. There was a film made in 1934, one of the classic and best-known propaganda films of all times. We're going to see three minutes of it, filmed in 61 hours for two hours. And um, this was filmed in um, Nuremberg, Germany, Nazi Party Congress, 1934. Let's have a look. Okay, there you've got to see three minutes 
of one of the most influential films, and you've probably seen a few speeches like that, The Power of Words. And that was uh, filmed over three days. They put it into a two-hour film, and uh, it was entirely orchestrated, and even Hitler was a producer of the film. Um, I don't know how well you know history, but it's fairly well known what happened. He went on in the video to talk about the Germans being a superior race and the need to remove uh, less um, or more inferior people from from the nation. And eventually that will come out in um, the final solution, a plan to remove six, at least uh, the plan was to remove as many as possible. Six million Jews, uh, Jewish people were put to death, executed just because they were Jewish. Uh, The power of words, the power of ideas. So the tongue has tremendous influence. Thirdly, warning, you can't tame your own tongue, verses 7 and 8. You can't tame your own tongue. In verse 7, it's amazing how animals can be trained by humans. Look at verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. All kinds. Lions and tigers and elephants and um, birds. We've got birds outside, don't we? Parakeets and parrots and falcons and pigeons come to my mind. How many of you have seen a reptile that's... Che- uh, trained. One time in my life, I got a, I, when I was in India, I got to see a snake charmer uh, blow his flute-like instrument and watch this, um, uh, what, what was it, cobra. It reared its head just like it does on TV. And lo and behold, this is an art that, and I, I also learned that they can uh, defang the cobras and they can also sometimes sew their mouth shut. Can you believe that? That's kind of safe. And creatures of the sea, the sea lions and dolphins and orcas. Um, I know that dolphins have been trained by the Navy to find out mines underwater and booby traps. Um, I got to ride an elephant when I was in India, a trained elephant, and I got to ride a camel when I was in Jericho in India. Israel, Um, but one of the most amazing animals I've ever seen trained is a guinea pig, and we're going to watch a short video clip of how guinea pigs uh, can be trained. I'm I'm amazed. I don't know how he did it. Think of the time it would have taken just to teach the word row and then have him say it back. Um, It's just amazing. Um, how we can train animals. But, verse 8, it's amazing that humans can't tame their own tongues. Look at verse 8. Humans can't tame their own tongues. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Pretty harsh, isn't it? Left to ourselves, without the influence of God in our lives, there's really nothing we can do to bring control to our speech. Human speech patterns uh, tend to drift toward dishonoring God and other people. People can live without God, 
And yes, they can sort of have good speech and good grammar and say nice things. But uh, it's really worthless apart from God. And uh, they usually end up saying things that are totally um, the opposite of um, the person of God and the character of God and the commands of God. So um, no one can tame the tongue. You have any hope? You can't handle your own speech. And you just, we just need to be absolutely clear that we know that. Verses 9 through 12, number four, warning, you may not be as good as you think. You may not be as good as you think. You have the potential for worship and cursing in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have, made, who have been made in God's likeness. I think James has this figured out here. With the tongue, we can praise the, our Lord and our Father. We can have a cool worship service. We can have a cool band. We can have a cool worship leader. And we can sing praise to God. And our lips can honor God about his greatness. And at the same time, uh, we can use the same tongue to criticize and belittle and berate others who are created in the image of God, whom God sent Jesus to die for. God has a very high view of people. Yes, people are sinners. I'm a sinner. And yes, I don't have to agree with everything that people or approve of what everybody does. And I'm grateful that we have laws. But yet, I, I don't have the right... Um, you know, I can have opinion, but I don't have, a, I don't have the right to dishonor anyone with my speech. If I don't have a right, I don't think you have the right either, but... Um, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, it's not logical or fitting for the Christ follower to praise God and dishonor others with our speech. And James just, you know, comes out and says it. Um, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this shouldn't be. Shouldn't be that way. It's not logical. It's not logical for a Christ follower to pour out his or her heart in worship and then later to gossip or joke or make fun or put down other people. James is just saying it doesn't work. It's not consistent. It's inappropriate. It's out of bounds. It's sin. It's, we, we often think, well, it's not, it's not harmless. James says it's irrational. It dishonors our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 11 and 12, what is your source? That is, what is the source of your words? What is the source of what you say? Verses 11 and 12, James writes, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James uh, has an assumption for, of an, for a negative answer. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Nah. Everybody knows that's not true. Can't happen. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Can a grapevine bear figs? Nope. And um, so, example of the source problems. 
salt and fresh water. Um, two sources, salt water and fresh water. That's the issue. The next one is the fig tree and the olives. They have two different sources, right? And the grapevine and the fig, two different sources. You see, I have a point here. Two different sources for each, a different source for each one. Um, so, what about the spiritual reality? What does James' illustrations have in common with spiritual reality? And what I want to say is two sources. Um, the Bible teaches us that. Uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every person really qualifies as a sinner. We all have that sin nature. It takes a few people longer to admit it. it. Took me 25 years to admit it. Um, but we all have a nature. The nature is a capacity. Um, my sin nature, the Bible calls the old nature, is um, a capacity to please me. It's about me. It's about what I want. And uh, it's selfish and self-centered. Okay? That's the, um, that's the sin nature. When I uh, placed my faith in Christ on September 29, 1974, at four, uh, about 4 a.m. in the morning, I got a new nature. That's what the Bible even calls it, a new man, a new capacity. And that new capacity was a capacity to please God. However, I still have the old nature. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The new has... has uh, um, can overcome the old nature any time. And the new is a new start, fresh start, forgiven start. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be created in Christ. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 reminds me that I have two natures. So I say live by the Spirit, meaning live by the power of the Holy Spirit, means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will not gr gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. I have an old nature, a sin nature. I have a new nature, uh, a spiritual nature, born uh, again, I became a child of God. Now God is my father spiritually. And I have two natures. And guess what? There's a conflict going on. I feel them both. It's just not one or the other. They're both there. But I have a choice how I live. And when I'm operating in my old nature, my words um, can be pretty hurtful and harmful and self-centered. The new nature is designed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The old nature is not. Here's a list of sin patterns that clue us in on our behavior, Galatians 5:19 and 20. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And sexual immorality, meaning sex outside of marriage, before marriage, uh, 
outside of the relationship of husband and wife, impurity and debauchery, living outside of the lines, excess, way out of bounds, idolatry, putting something before God, witchcraft. You probably know more about witchcraft than some of these on the list because of television and movies. Now, here's what I wanted you to focus in on. Hatred. Hatred comes out with our words that we say to or about other people. Discord. The Bible says make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the church. But yet discord is when I'm not happy. I don't like this. And uh, church needs to be based on truth. But uh, discord is sometimes is from the, is, is from the sinful nature. Jealousy. Um, people who are jealous say thing, hurtful things. They're offended. They, they feel bad and, and they say hurtful things. Fits of rage. That's going over the top with anger. It can be devastating for a family. All I'm saying is these are areas where it's so easy to sin in speech. These are sins anyway on the list. Selfish ambition. It's about me. Dissensions and factions. That's about splitting people off into groups. We're not talking about growth groups. Um, just the, the danger of the, and the power of our speech. And what happens, you can tell when you're moving in these directions that you're not moving toward God, you're moving away from God. James 1.26 says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, some of the translations are doesn't keep a bridle. That's a good one. You know, after using the horse, you know, just picture having a bridle in your mouth and that's kind of keep you in check from what you say. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Remember, for James, religion means devotion to Christ. Um, some quick advice as we, as we come to a close. First, nourish your heart and soul with God's word daily. Read the word of God. It's spiritual food for your soul. It has spiritual nutrients and vitamins just for your speech. Just what you need. That's the way God designed it. That's why we're so encouraged to read the Word. James 1.19 tells us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Think before you react. Be a good listener first. And think about do your words honor God or do they dishonor God? Thirdly, pray and ask God to daily guide and guard your speech. This is an area you need to work on. It's one of the most practical things you can do is to pray and ask God to guide you. One of my favorite passages is uh, Psalm 19:14. This is what you can pray. This is what you can memorize. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Consider memorizing that. Let's pray together. Thanks, Father, for um, the reminder from James about our speech and how powerful and the influence that it has. And we view our words as being something so small and insignificant, and yet they have a great influence around us in our families, in our marriage, with our kids our friends. God, it's my prayer that our words will honor you, 
that we'll continue to grow as followers of Christ, that um, we'll be thinking before we speak. God, if there are things that we've said that we need to ask for forgiveness to, may we have the courage to go and do that. If we said to others, if we've hurt others, if we have offended others. If there are things that we need to confess to you, God, um, may we just be honest with you for Jesus' sake. Amen.